Prime, do you know how important is the travel insurance? Do you know how big is the travel industry? Well, I've got the answer to that and a couple more in today's episode of the Successful Network Podcast. I'm here with Brad and Mary. Brad is a guy with fantastic story who is a CEO of the Enviva Travel Club, a travel insurance agency. In today's podcast episode, we're talking about how big actually that tra- that travel insurance industry is and how much future it has. It's the hidden gem, guys. So if you don't know what business to start, as you start travel insurance. I mean, one of the best businesses. I'm not saying the best. There's no, su- there's no such thing as best business or easiest. So yeah, guys, listen to the podcast. Get as much free knowledge as you can. And write everything good down because writing is important, guys. I mean, everyone has passion, but writing should be all, <coughs> all out passion. It's just amazing. Okay, anyways, guys, I'm gonna leave you here to listen to the interview and see you soon. Bye bye. And always hustle. Yeah, it's doing it now, isn't it? All yes, right, man. Oh, yeah, man, it is. <laughs> Firstly, I want to say thank you for coming here and supporting the show man that's the real big deal for me i salute you for that man and i thank you for that but before jumping into more important questions tell us something interesting about yourself <laughs> uh there's, there's a big one I, I just had my birthday yesterday and father's day today so i've had a very relaxed weekend oh interesting <laughs> so, uh, so i've just had to beat my puppy because it keeps stealing uh turds out of the cat box <laughs> <laughs> okay man now i want it's just the puppy <laughs> <laughs> all oh, right we saw, man. A, we saw a cobra today a big one wow where actually wait in hong kong yeah yeah we were wow. walking, uh, just on the edge of the country park and my daughter spotted it and went right across the path in front of us Mm, damn man, I'm jealous. I love reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to get too close to one of those. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Now let's jump into the questions. Sure. What is your story? Oh, <laughs> that's a big one. Uh, look, I have a very unusual resume. If we talk about work, I started off working in a bank or a building society, which is a mutually owned bank in the UK. And uh, I used to do collections and then credit scoring. And then I built uh, credit scoring and behavioral scoring models. So very mathematical, very analytical. And I went into consulting and I found I was good at presenting and, and sales. And then I moved to, to Asia with Prudential, the, the UK life insurance company. They wanted to start a bank in, in Asia, an internet bank, back in 2000. And I came out to look after the credit risk for them. And then they changed their mind after about seven months. We had the dot-com crash and the world changed and nobody believed in the internet anymore. And uh, I had a choice to go back to the UK or to change my life and become an insurance guy. So I said, okay, I like Hong Kong, let's learn about insurance. And then I spent the next uh, nearly 20 years running around doing deals for the insurance company, mostly with banks. So I became very much a business development guy and a, and a you know, sales manager. And I ran operations in a number of countries around Asia. So I've lived in Korea and Vietnam, 
Taiwan, mainland China, as well as Hong Kong. Uh, built some very big businesses. One of the, the businesses we got very lucky and it did $250 million in the first year. Uh, and some smaller ones that were a lot more hard work. Um, and then I, I left Pro after about eight years and went and did some independent consulting, at which point I was, I was in the uh, Hong Kong office of the CEO for about seven months. Uh, and then did some more regional stuff with MetLife. Uh, I tried several times to start my own thing, you know, sort of part-time hobby businesses and that kind of thing. I was always interested in, in entrepreneurial stuff. Worked for two or three different startups over the years, mostly insurance related. Uh, and then I ended up at AIA building the Vitality Program, which is a South African program from Discovery. And they just they brought it out to Asia with, with AIA. So I rolled that out across seven countries as a startup. Uh, and then when that was over, I decided it was time to, to build my own business. So that's when we started working on, uh, on AIMBIVA. That's quite interesting story, by the way. You are right. It's quite interesting. But right now, can you take your business journey? Tell us more about the I'm Viva Travel Club. What's it about? Sure. So part of part of my life between AIA and I'm Viva, I was doing some consulting. And it's quite. A, if I tell you one story, it becomes quite obvious what I tried to solve. I was in Singapore and I had to send a file to a client and I got to the airport and the SIM card that I bought in Singapore wasn't working anymore, it expired. So I couldn't send the file and I wanted to get on the Wi-Fi at the airport, but the airport Wi-Fi wanted a phone number to send me an SMS and I couldn't do that because the SIM card had expired. <laughs> so I ended up going to a lounge, this all took some time obviously, I ended up going to a lounge and paying, I don't know, $100 or something to get in and I managed to send the file. I paid all the money and I didn't have time to even stay and have a beer and a sandwich or, or anything. I had to then run and get on the plane. And I was so frustrated and so, so angry that it was so difficult to just send this file out from the airport. But I thought, well, when I was in corporate life, it wasn't like this. I could have called somebody, somebody would have helped me. I could have used my work phone. You know, there would have been a way to do it. And I thought, okay, that. The idea for Enviva was to try and build something that made life easier for guys like me, you know, the, the small business guy who has to travel and, and runs into problems. So, how are things with Enviva? Are you growing, man? Because that's really cool to ask. I mean, it's, it's very common question, but are you growing right now? Do you um, see the fruits of it? I'm growing. There's a question. Where... <laughs> Well, actually, we hit a level and we've got fairly stuck for the time being at around 250, 300 members, that sort of level. But I have two big projects that are they're just taking too long to get going. But when they get going, that's going to jump very, very quickly. So it's kind of, I'm in that frustrating middle area where you know everything's about to change, but it hasn't happened yet. Let's uh, jump back into your childhood and school experience. Mm. What kind of a child and a student were you? Uh, I was a good student. I was always near the top of the class. Um, good grades. I got nine O levels and did okay A level and, and did a degree in accountancy. So it's a solid, solid academics. 
probably underachieved a little bit towards the end of that. I was a, a typical teenager. I discovered the joys of alcohol and girls. <laughs> um, but I, I, I liked school. I enjoyed going to school and, and did well. I had a few interesting things. I, I got in trouble at one point. I'd started my own uh, business at school, buying candy and selling it in the playground. And I had two carrier bags full of candy confiscated from me. And, uh, and my mother came to the school and told them that they had to give it back to me. And they said, well, you know, he, he's broken school rules by doing it. And she said, yes, but it's still his candy. You have to give it back to him. So, <laughs> a bit of parental support for my entrepreneurial endeavors there. So when I was scrolling in your profile, I saw that you're an open networker. Yeah. So do you actually host networking <laughs> events or you go to networking events? Uh, I go to networking events. Uh, I was at BNI for about two years uh, and I run a startup support group. I'm on the committee of the Hong Kong Startup Support Group. Uh, and, and somebody made a joke recently and said, Brad, you'd go to the opening of a, of a paper bag. So <laughs> I go to, to a lot of events. I like meeting people and, and I enjoy trying to help people. Oh, uh, while well, we are still on the, the topic, what is your philosophy on building deep but meaningful connections with other people? Entrepreneurs, business owners, startup investors, you know, such, such people. So I, I tend not to look at it as, as building deep and meaningful relationships. It's not, I, I, I think life is about where can you help and you can't help everybody, but, but there's always somebody that you can help. And when I help somebody, and I help them a lot, and they're very, very grateful, I always say to them, you don't need to do anything for me. Just help the next guy along and pay it forwards. So I guess that's more of my, my networking philosophy, is that you, know, you try to help other people. There are people that have helped me immensely uh, and wouldn't take anything from me. Uh, and, and I've done the same for others, and I hope they'll do the same going forwards. I saw in your profile that you were a voluntary mentor for LinkedIn. Mm. Can, you explain, can you tell us more about that mentorship passion of yours? I mean, I call it passion. I don't know if it's passion, but <laughs> so it looks like it. My, my journey on LinkedIn, and you, if you've been following me on LinkedIn, you know, is I don't really use it for, for selling my business. It's much more about what I'm learning about using the platform. Uh, it's taken me about a year and a half to have one viral post and I've tried all sorts of things to try and do that and then when you do it you realize it's maybe not what you wanted anyway. <laughs> um, but I try and share what I'm learning as I'm going, not just on LinkedIn but you know with growing the business as well. And people send me messages, particularly in, in the private messages and ask me questions and you know, how do I do this and how can I do that or would you look at my resume or do you know anybody who can help me with this? And again, I always try and, and help people there's been maybe maybe as many as 20 people over the last 18 months that I've helped with something specific. So two or three that spring to mind where they were in quite a, an involved job hunt. And it was in insurance, which is my background. And, and so I spent a bit of time with them, helping them find the right contacts. And, and again, a lot of gratitude there from people that I've done that for. Um, but again, you have to accept that you can't do it for everybody. I've got 20,000 connections and, and if every person that sort of wrote to me and said, can you get me a job, you tried to help them, you wouldn't have any time in the day. Why should people choose I'm Viva for traveling? 
if they're you know business owners and such. Um, so the main reason that people join us is because of our insurance, which is very strong. Obviously, with my background, I spend a lot of time negotiating the travel insurance policy. Uh, we have a group policy, and all of our members are automatically insured. So that's that's the biggest feature. Uh, we do lounge access and SIM card, and we have our FID blocking wallets and smart bag tags and so on and so on. And if you add up the value, it's something like three times cheaper to join our club than to buy each of the individual bits. Um, but the main reason people are joining is for the travel insurance, which is about 30% cheaper than buying a comparable annual travel insurance plan. What do you think is the most common problem into most travel insurance companies right now? Uh, the most common problem. 80% of people are traveling without travel insurance. So if you're in the travel insurance business, you're, you're missing out on 80% of your customers. Um, and there's a couple of things that are a problem there. One is that you know, insurance agents and, and um, brokers don't really want to sell it because there's not much money in it. So nobody's out there trying to sell travel insurance. And most people, they'll buy it when they buy their plane ticket. They'll buy it online at the point where you buy your ticket. But I don't know whether you've realized this. If you try and go back after you've bought your ticket, you can't still buy that insurance. It's just one of the, the quirks of the way that the, the business works. So again, if you don't buy it at the point where you buy a ticket, you end up without insurance and then people forget to go and, and buy it separately. And then there's a lot of people who think they've got insurance with their credit card. And a lot of the credit cards advertise that they have travel insurance, but they're doing, you know, cancelled flights and baggage protection and not much more. And, and the main thing that people need when they buy travel insurance is the medical cover. They need to know if they have to go to hospital when they're overseas, that, that they're covered for that. Okay, you told us what the travel insurance is, how it can help us, but why should people just, you know, make a business in that industry? Does it have a future? Oh, absolutely. Travel, travel as a business is growing exponentially. We see countries like, you know, China and India and Indonesia, where the middle class is growing dramatically. We see more and more people traveling internationally every year. Uh, and they should all be insured, but even if only 80% of them insured, the size of that 80% is growing dramatically. Okay, we talked about the other problems in the insurance industry. We talked about its future, but let's talk about your problems in that industry. Mm. What are your major problems right now? <laughs> My problems are, are not really insurance related, they're more small business related. So you know, we're, we're constantly struggling to do as much as we can do with very little money. We're a bootstrapped company. Um, so we raised a little bit of money when we started, but we haven't gone out yet for a seed round. Uh, and I want to see the, the sales hockey stick before I go and try and raise money. So we're constantly battling as to what's the priority and where are we going to get the most value from a dollar. And I think that's that's the case for most startups. I think you know, the, the startups that are well-funded by big corporates are few and far between. Do you have any mentors who guide you during those hard times? Like virtual mentors or maybe even personal mentors, who knows? I've been very, very lucky with the, the people that did put money in when I started are all very experienced. So I have a uh, one of my old bosses from the insurance industry is an investor. 
Uh, I've got a very good friend of mine who's spent more than 20 years as a, as a buyer out here in Asia, supplying people in Europe. Um, and I have a, a guy who's got 20 years in the travel industry and they're all very, very good to, to share their advice. I also have a, a very good friend who's a, a long experienced tech guy from Silicon Valley. So I get lots of, lots of advice when I need it. Can you build your dream team? The team you wanted to run, the, you wanted to, you know, your dream team that you wanted to run the company. Uh, sorry, Nicola, I'm not catching you. Say that again. Yeah, of course, I didn't broke the words. Do you, do you make your dream team? Like, you know, the dream CMO, the dream CTO? Oh, I those see. People. Well, I guess in, in one way, yes. At the moment, it's just my wife and I. So, so we get on very well. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the investor team is fantastic because they've got such broad experience. But we are we're very small. I think I said earlier we're between two hundred and fifty and three hundred members. So it, it doesn't require a big team for us to run it at the moment. Um, I have I found some fantastic people to outsource to. So I have a very good accountant. I have a very good design and, and web team. Um, yeah, there's people that are helping me that are not on the payroll, but but they're consistent help. But do you plan on expanding your team? Uh, yeah, but it's, it's one of those chicken and egg questions, right? So we have to get more sales to bring more money, uh, and then we'll build the team out from there. Okay, so we talked about everything for the, for the industry, your company, your team. But now can you tell us your real passions? Do you have any side passions? That's a bit of a curious question, but I'm curious at all. So do you have any side passions that you're like, you know, following right now? Uh, it's interesting. Curious is, is, yeah, it's a great thing. So I mean, LinkedIn is a good example of where I'm curious and always exploring. Uh, and one of the things that I enjoy in the business is learning about digital marketing. But outside of that, uh, I used to run a lot. I've run five full distance marathons, all in different cities. Um, I've done a lot of cycling, but I'm not doing enough of either of those at the moment. The business is pretty all consuming. Uh, we have animals at home, so two cats and two dogs, and the dogs keep me sane because I have to walk them. It doesn't matter what else is going on. So um, I guess that's the animals are probably my passion apart from family at the moment. What is your business advice for me? Do you have any business advices for me? <laughs> uh, I think one of the bits of advice I give to all people who are younger is always ask for help and don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, people sometimes get very kind of proud about, oh, I can do it all myself. But the, the best business people have people that help them. Uh, and whether those are people on the payroll or just people around you, your investors or your friends or your family, that it's important that you can ask for help and whether that's advice or whether that's something physical like you know I, I have a delivery coming in and I need some help moving some boxes you know it, it's good to and, and people like to be asked right people like to help value bomb number one is dropped right here I'm gonna count them to the end man <laughs> okay so how did you educate yourself on, you know, that travel insurance. I mean, you said that you're long in that industry, but did you read any books about it? Or do you read any books at all? 
so through my corporate career, I read extensively. I spent a lot of time on planes and I always carried physical books on planes so that I could read from the start to the end. None of this turning a, an e-reader on and off 20 minutes into the flight and 20 minutes before the end. Um, I read a lot of help, self-help books. I read a lot of technical books. Um, I don't read so much at the moment, although I read quite a lot online. Um, but in, in terms of the insurance side of it, the travel insurance, you learn the most by, by actually customers' questions. So the, the best thing you can do is to start selling something like travel insurance and other people will ask you questions that you've never thought of. Uh, and then you go find out the answers and you become an expert very quickly. But do you plan on making on writing your own book, becoming an author? Yeah, that's one of those things I've, I've always liked to do. My brother wrote a novel, which I think he published about a year and a half ago. Uh, and that's one of those things I think we'd, we'd all like to think there's a book in us. There's a lot of discipline in, in sitting down and writing it. And, and would I write it about business or, or personal life or something fictional? I, I don't know. I guess that's something for um, post-retirement. Hmm. All right, then, because, I mean, people in that industry, I mean, they need a mentor. They need someone with experience. And you're gaining experience. I see that you are gaining it. And, yeah. So, can you give us a picture about where you've been 10 years? 10 years? Uh, From I... now on. <laughs> Do you have a video? Yeah, I, look, if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd have probably told you I'd be retired. Uh, as you go through the entrepreneur journey, you realize that, that the number of businesses that sell quickly is few and far between. But I like to think with a, a five or six year timeline from now that we'd exit the business. Uh, I don't see myself doing nothing. Actually, retirement's kind of a an abstract for me. So I imagine that I'd probably start something else or go and help somebody else who was starting something else. Okay. That's pretty interesting. Some other interviews where we're just, you know, asking yes or no questions. <laughs> what is your opinion about, you know, podcasting? So it's interesting. I, I hadn't ever... That's a bit of a personal to... question, but no, I'm curious. No, I hadn't ever listened to a podcast uh, until I started the business. And I did one. I sponsored the Hong Kong Rugby League last year, and they have a podcast. So they asked me to go on one of their podcasts, which I did. And that was kind of interesting. And then over the last year, I've been invited to do more of them. This is probably maybe the fourth or fifth one I've been on. And it's an interesting medium. It's one that I don't listen to podcasts. I, where I live and the way that I work, there isn't much privacy. Uh, and so it's not something that works for me. I'd much rather read something which I can do without disturbing other people. business is Hong Kong a good city for starting a business 
Oh, it's going to be like the worst city in the world to start a business in. People say to me, why did you start a business in Hong Kong? And it's as simple as this is my home. It's where I've lived for 19 years now. Um, it's expensive and, and it's complex. And you know, there's all sorts of reasons to not start a business here. Um, but I know, you know, I know the place. I know how it operates. My wife's a Chinese speaker. So I things from across the border cheaply. Um, so for us, it works. So I guess it's the same. You know, if you live in London, you start a business in London. If you live in Monaco, you start a business in Monaco. Right now, what do you think that every new entrepreneur, not just in your industry, is missing? Something he is missing, he's doing wrong. And how can they fix it? I don't know if it's fair to say every entrepreneur, but but you know, being on the committee of the Hong Kong Startup Support Group, we we see consistently and we talk about it that all new entrepreneurs are more concerned with fundraising than than anything else. And and the thing that you should be most concerned about is sales. If you have enough regular sales and enough revenue coming in, then funding becomes secondary. Uh, and, and consistently, the businesses that I see doing the most, having the most success, are the ones that have a sales focus. Uh, you know, maybe they've gone out and hired a salesperson, or the person who's building the business is naturally sales oriented. Um, but but you know, if you have revenue, then funding is much less of a pressure. Uh, and I guess the other thing is when people are looking for funding, expecting it to come very very quickly and not understanding that it might take you a year or two years to build up the contact base and to have enough conversations that not only that you get your pitch right, but you understand who you're speaking to and whether they're even the right investors for your project. What are the differences between the Asian and American entrepreneurs? Can you tell us the differences if they have any? <laughs> I don't know if I can because I haven't I haven't worked in America with American entrepreneurs. I mean, we see we see Silicon Valley and and kind of think of that as glamour. And I know enough to know that it isn't. There's a lot of people there working crazy hours and struggling as much as we work crazy hours and struggle here in Hong Kong. I think the the entrepreneur lifestyle is similar. Um, I think for a long time there was a lot more support in in certainly parts of America than there are than there was here in Hong Kong. But I think we're seeing an ecosystem develop and more support and more consistency from the incubators, accelerators, investors than we, we did previously. Um, but I, I say I think that that desire to get out and create something and make it happen is probably universal. Uh, and then it's really around how much help can you get and how much help do you need. Do you have like a dream location where you want to go? <laughs> I've traveled to more than 50 countries. Uh, I've been very, very lucky that way with my corporate life. Uh, and I'm extremely happy in Hong Kong. Where I live in Hong Kong is not what you envisage. It's, I'm, I'm not in the center of the city. Uh, there's no concrete jungle where I am. In fact, I live on the edge of a jungle, very, very close to the ocean. And it's beautiful. Um, so we're, we're very happy where we are and where we live. Um, 
yeah, my wife is younger and I think she'd like to travel as much as I have done in the past. So maybe that's something we'll do more of later. Um, but personally, I've, I've been very lucky. I've seen a lot of the world and I'm happy where I live. What, do, uh, what did travel taught you that nothing else did? Uh, flexibility, I think. Uh, I, uh, there's an article on my LinkedIn that talks about all the things that went wrong with me when I traveled. Uh, and, you know, silly things like your, your bank goes missing and you turn up in Korea in the snow in shorts and a T-shirt. Uh, and some more serious things like being in Mumbai during the 100-year floods. But what you learn is, is to be adaptable and to make the most of what you've got. And, and, you know, I think I was lucky as a student. I worked and one of the jobs I worked was as a security guard, so I can sleep pretty much anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that, you know, dealing with different cultures and different ways of doing things and different foods and just flexibility, just, just accepting that there's always more than one way to do something. When you were like older and you have enough money, where do you want to invest? Do you have any investment goals? Uh, not really. I mean, I will buy property. Uh, I, I, through my career, I've always made more money on property than anything else, and my father was the same. Uh, that I'm not. Uh, I'm not excited by things like blockchain. I, I got involved in a project last year and realized that there's a lot of uh, dirty tricks and things that go on in that space. I don't think that it's mature enough yet. Um, equities, I think, are too unstable at the moment, um, and I don't know enough about it. So for me, I suppose if I invest, it will be property. Um, and again, the, the hope is that we make enough money on an exit that we don't have to worry too much. Valbon number two drop right here. It's valuable for me. I don't hear who says who says, but for me it's valuable, man. <laughs> okay, so from the time you spent on the business side of things, what did you learn? Something really unique. Something that just opened your eyes, it just said poof and opened a lot of things for you. It's a, it's a big one. I mean, in, in corporate life, I was extremely lucky. I was employee number 37 for Prudential in Asia, and I got the opportunity to, to do lots of things that I probably wouldn't have been asked to do back home in the UK because I was too young and too inexperienced. So I guess my, my big learning from that time is actually if you let somebody young and, and with enthusiasm have a go at something, they'll probably do an okay job. And most mistakes that get made are not fatal. So that's my sort of big corporate learning. Uh, in terms of the entrepreneurial space, well, I guess <laughs> never to be too surprised, some of the things that have gone wrong, you just don't see coming. Uh, but but equally, and I, I sort of said this earlier on, you know, mistakes happen. Mistakes are very rarely fatal. Uh, and, and I think most entrepreneurial success is through tenacity. You keep just keep going, keep pushing, even when you think it, it's really terrible and it can't get any worse. If you keep going, it gets better. So basically, it taught you to be positive. Yeah. That's positive mindset. Yes.
Oh, it's so important. You can't being an entrepreneur is difficult enough. You can't be too negative. Do you have any tips on actually, you know, getting a better mindset, growing your mindset? No, you know, some people have that negative, realistic mindset. How can they grow it? How can they make it better? You know, people talk about fake it till you make it, right? And, and we always think of that as, you know, the guy who pretends he's got the fast car and the flash suits and the expensive watch. But it, for me, it was, people used to ask me, oh, how are you? And I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm okay. Or I'm not so good. I've got a cold. And I had a boss, a new boss at one point, very, very early in my career. And he said, Brad, listen to yourself. Said, Nobody cares. Nobody really wants to hear that stuff. Just, you know. Put a smile on your face and tell them you're great and it's going to be an awesome day and give them some enthusiasm and they'll go and have an awesome day and, and everyone will like you for it. Uh, and I took that to heart and I did that. And you know what? He was right. <laughs> so for me, it was just being told that, you know, being positive is far more likable than being negative. And, and you see it on social media. Who, who of the big influencers is negative? None of them, right? The guys with hundreds of thousands of followers are all super positive. All right, man. Thank you for that interview. It was, I was so glad we made it, man. That's awesome. I had so much fun talking to you, man, and I salute you for that. But Two more questions, we're going to wrap it up. Okay. okay. What would you say to the listeners for the end? Is man. Say, say. Nicola, you're breaking up a little bit. Try again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> okay, man. I want, you to, I want to ask you one question for the listeners. Yeah. Just inspire them, man. Say something inspirational for the end. <laughs> do other people do this on demand? That's not. <laughs> um, just I don't know. Like they always say, don't don't procrastinate, right? Don't think too much about what could go wrong. Just get out there and have a go at something. I had a go at five or six different things as as hobbies before I started the business full time. And you learn so much by doing. So just go and do something. Have a, you know, make a lemonade stand or you know, sell something on Amazon. Do something and you'll learn so much that the next time when you do something a bit bigger, it won't feel so big. Okay. My last question is, okay, my listeners, uh, I want fair enough with that knowledge man how can they Nicola I'm not I'm not catching you again buddy. yeah okay uh, let me repeat that so how can my listeners contact you how can they contact me yep Oh, I, Can you tell us your contact info? My, uh, my LinkedIn profile, which is Brad Emery 71 
uh, it has all my contacts, my phone and my email, everything is there. So I'm, I'm pretty easy to get hold of. And uh, a, lot, a lot of people like you just message me on LinkedIn and I try and respond to everybody. All right, then the LinkedIn will be in the description down the episode. And here we're going to say goodbye, I believe, man. Thank you for that interview. Thank you for sharing that knowledge with us. And I'll see you soon, man. You're good. Cheers, Nicola. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. I'll send you the file, yeah?